Hello, everybody. Welcome to Pochmancier, Chapter 13. This podcast is entirely listener-supported, so if you've been enjoying these chapters, I, I, I urge you to go check out patreon.com slash strangelywritesbooks, uh, where you can make a small contribution to help keep this thing alive. Sorry there was no episode last week. I'll have some more about that uh, and the reason for that after the chapter, but now, without further ado, let's get to the next chapter of Pochmancier. Pochmancier, a novel by Strangely Duesberg, read by the author. Chapter 14. Spells. Kells is walking through a room full of books, vast as a cathedral. She is a child again, and this is the library. The library from her childhood, yes, but it is also Martin's bookshop and Adlin's store. The chairs are those from the shattered anchor, and somewhere, far away, she can hear the music of a band galumphing through their numbers. She is awed, joyous at the books, all seeming so large compared to her minuscule size. The books all look far too ancient and majestic to be in a simple library, but here they are in their ranks and files, soldiers in an eternal war against ignorance and mundanity. And then a heavy sound, something making its ponderous, angry way toward her. From far away, though so loud as to be easily heard, a voice. This kind of thing is wrong, sinful, put it out of your mind. If you insist on these things, you will burn. From somewhere in the direction of the voice comes a gout of flame. Instantly the wondrous library is on fire, flapping, twisting books falling like dying birds. Kells turns to run, but it is too late. The flames surround her, blocking every escape, shelves crashing down, pushing her into a smaller and smaller space. And then a great hand rises above her. Kells knows the hand will take it all away, every scrap of magic she has found, every joyous discovery and moment of wonder. She will not, cannot let this happen. She pulls herself to her feet and screams up at the descending thing, intent on robbing her of everything she had. Kells wakes up to Eleanor shaking her. The dishwater light of an early city morning is peeking in through the window. Eleanor seems about to speak, but then closes her mouth and lies back beside Kells. They contemplate the ceiling, both wide awake and fearful that something has been broken, a chance missed. When the awkward silence can last no longer, Eleanor moves to get up. Kells stays her with a hand. When I was a child, we weren't allowed magic. What do you mean? Eleanor can tell this wound runs deep. Magic. Any kind of magic. Even the word magic. It was all suspicious. My parents were very religious. What sort of religious? The kind that doesn't have much room for anything else. Closed minds and empty hearts. Kells makes a face, even though Eleanor cannot see it. No magic. Why? I still don't understand it but I guess the idea was that anything outside of the natural order would lead to evil. Anything they deemed evil would be confiscated and often destroyed. That's preposterous. Of course it is. Kells is far away. A little girl, not yet ten, watching books burn. Stories of child wizards deemed sinful by adults of wisdom greater than her own. At least that is what they tell her. 
the mood is festive. The forced gaiety of adults attempting to entertain children with something their own hearts are cold to. A blast of heat blows a cover open, and one by one the pages quickly curl away and float up, ashen, snow falling the wrong way. Before Kells realizes it, she is telling Eleanor the story of her childhood, her parents, and her discovery of magic. She begins the way she always wanted her life story to start. Once upon a time, there was a girl named Kells. For her tenth birthday, another child gave her a book. The cover was adorned with a fanciful painting of a stately lion smiling at three children who were dressed in armor and carrying swords. Behind them stood a castle, a confection of turrets and ramparts rising over a lake beside a forest dappled with sunshine. In the distance, a dark figure brooded, menacing. But manageable, Kells thought when she looked at the picture. She thanked her friend and placed the book with the other gifts on the table, before unwrapping the rest. She was excited to read the story such a book was sure to contain. That night, after her guests had left, she went to gather up her presents. She could not wait to bring them upstairs to her little bedroom under the roof. The book was gone. When she asked her mother about it, her question was met with ignorance. Hmm? said her mother. What book would that be, dear? The one with the lion on the cover? Oh, that book, said her mother as if suddenly realizing, disdain plain in her voice. I've put it away. It's not appropriate for you. Why not? Kells was confused. Because, darling, you'll just have to trust me on this. Some things are not meant for you, and, as your mother, I need to protect you from evil. It is my sacred duty. But the book didn't seem evil, Kells wondered aloud. Have you read it? No, and I didn't need to. I flipped through it to a couple of pages. It's full of dark magic and spells and evil and children getting into danger. Do they end up all right? I don't think so, dear. Children could never hope to stand against evil. But why? Because they haven't learned discernment yet. You don't know enough to know that the book is bad for you. I'm your mother, and I am looking out for you, because I love you. I don't understand. You don't need to understand, dear. You see, there are many things children don't understand. It's like, I'll tell you a story. Kells was excited. She loved stories. Tales of adventure and discovery. She jumped onto the couch beside her mother. Once there was a little girl. Her mother paused, thinking, then continued. And she was going on a trip with her father. They were going to ride on a train to a very distant city and they had their suitcases and wore their very best clothes for the trip. The little girl was very excited and she asked her father if she could hold her own ticket. Her father said, No, sweetie, if I give it to you too early, you might lose it, and then what would we do? I'll hold on to it for you for a bit longer, and then when the train is closer, I'll let you hold it. And then what happened? Kells asked her mother. That's all. The little girl realized her father was right and when the train was closer, her father gave her the ticket. But where were they going? That's not important, sweetie. The important part is that she listened to her father 
because he had better judgment than her. Kells was unsatisfied. Even a child could tell that this was a terrible story. Her mother sent her upstairs to her room then, telling her happy birthday and to get some sleep. Kells did not sleep, though. She laid awake in bed for hours, staring at the ceiling and wondering about the book, what kind of story it contained. She never saw the book again, but that painting on its cover would fill her dreams for years to come. Not long after her birthday, she lied to her parents about visiting a friend and, instead, went to the library by herself. Kells had been there many times with her mother, checking out books to read, stories of clever children solving mysteries and books of history about explorers searching out faraway places for king and country or divine conquest. But today, she was looking for something different. When she came with her mother, every book would be examined carefully to determine if it was appropriate for her. Kells knew better than to question her during this time. If she interrupted her mother or argued about a choice, she would not be allowed to take any books home. It was terrifying to be alone in the library, and yet, somehow, liberating. With trepidation, she walked the aisles, fingers tracing the spines, until she found it. A small book, though very thick. Something about it, the picture on the cover, the color, caught her eye. It wasn't the same book she'd been given by her friend, but it seemed as though it could have been friends with it. The dust jacket promised a tale of dragons and dwarves, whites and wizards, but above all, magic. It was a story with magic, that wondrous and forbidden thing she knew so little about. Kells knew what the word meant, of course. She'd looked it up in the large dictionary her father owned. It seemed to have many meanings. The tricks of a magician, someone she was vaguely aware used playing cards, and... More tantalizing, the power to influence events or the world around you using supernatural forces. But what sort of forces, and from where? Did a magician making a quarter disappear use the same power as a witch turning someone into a newt? Perhaps the book would answer her questions. Red-faced, she checked it out. Terrified, she would be reported. The librarian would recognize her and call her parents. The librarian, a pinched-faced sallow individual who seemed to detest people almost as much as books could not care less annoyed at the interruption from a glossy magazine the librarian stamped her book without making eye contact and waved her away with a sigh after saying thank you as politely as possible kells walked slowly out the front door feeling as though she'd stolen something as soon as she was outside she broke into a run that night after the house had grown quiet she pulled the book from its hiding place deep in her school bag and began to read with a small flashlight. Very soon, she was crying. It was almost too much to bear, to find a whole world all of a sudden secreted between a pair of paper covers. Mountains, forests, rivers, and seas opening up like the infinite hand of the loving God her parents always talked of. The limitless realms of the unreal. Monsters and evil, yes, but also goodness. Far greater goodness than she'd ever known before. Selfless heroes sacrificing themselves for ideals. Friendships that were tested and proved true. Ancient wisdom meeting with pastoral common sense. Both enriched for the encounter. 
More books followed the first one. Armies marched, battles were won and lost, while dragons soared and good triumphed over evil. Mostly, though often at great cost. The more Kells read of magic, the more confusing the forbiddance of her parents became. So intent on preventing her from seeing this whole ocean of stories filled with wonder and surprise that they'd driven her straight into its embrace. Kells soon became curious about the other kind of magic, the effect produced by a performing artist. Before long, she'd started learning to hide coins in her hands, cause cards to vanish, and even push a salt shaker through a table. Kells realized that these two kinds of magic, the ancient powers ascribed to wizards and the prestidigitations, a fancy word she learned from a book on the history of stage magic, of artists, were one and the same. Both inspired wonder in those who saw them. For what is the purpose of magic, if not to make us gaze at the world anew, aflame with the impossibilities of what could happen? Her world was filled with the stories of knights and ladies befouled by wizards, tales of kingdoms under the sea, of talking rats behind a city, the lives of the great magicians of years past. As Kells read everything she could get her hands on, she started to copy her favorite parts into an empty notebook, which she kept hidden, wrapped in a piece of tarpaulin behind the garden shed. She even started to write her own stories, short ones, full of talking animals and wicked aunts and magic, always magic. This went on for nearly a year, until one day she came home from school to find her mother sitting at the kitchen table, staring out the window. Kells felt an immediate sinking in her stomach and knew something was terribly awry. She walked up to her mother and asked what was wrong. Her mother told her it was nothing, to go upstairs and do her homework. That night, dinner, often a subdued affair, was silent as a funeral parlor. Her parents would often ask her about school, and she would tell them what she had learned. Sometimes they would exchange news with each other about their own days. Instead, they said nothing, though every time she stared down at her plate, she felt their eyes on her. Kells tried several times to start conversation during the meal, asking her parents how they were, what had happened, and so on. Each time she was met with a curt answer that lapsed back into silence. That night, when she went upstairs, after her parents had gone to sleep, she reached under her bed for the most recent book she was reading, The Tale of a Young Girl Who Has Flown Away to a Land of Never Growing Up. The book was gone. Stealthily, she got out of bed and shined her flashlight around, but sure enough, it had gone. Though Kells pondered long and hard, nothing could shake the horrible truth, settling as a cold rock in her stomach. They knew. Her parents had found the book. She still had another book to read in her school bag, but she did not feel like it. The minutes stretched on as she began to weep. Her parents knew, but they had not said anything. Why? Harder and harder still she cried until exhaustion overcame her sense of hopelessness, and she fell into fitful sleep. When Kells came downstairs the next morning, her parents were sitting together in the dining room. The missing book was on the table between them. They were holding hands. Kells had only seen them hold hands one other time, at her grand's funeral. But this, this was just a book. Sit down, 
her father said. She sat, afraid. What is this? her father asked. He didn't point at the book. He didn't have to. It was obvious what he was talking about. Kells was dumbstruck. She looked back and forth between her parents, unsure if she was supposed to answer. Her father's gaze was steady, free of emotion, the way he would look when he had to do something he considered difficult or frightening. Her mother would not even look at her. A book? She whispered. Why were you hiding it under your bed? Her father asked. Her mother looked as though she might cry. I... I don't know. Yes, you do. You hid this... this garbage because you knew it was wrong to have it. He was working hard to remain calm, but Kells could see he was very angry. I wanted to read it, but I knew you wouldn't let me. She found herself defiant. She knew she had done nothing wrong. You don't understand anything about it. This is a very good book. I like reading books like this. Now her mother was crying. Her father's jawline tightened and he waited to speak for a moment. He took a deep breath. Kells, we're not angry, just very disappointed. We thought we'd raised you better, and yet this happens. Don't you know books like this can poison your mind? Her defiance softened for a moment and then returned tenfold. No, I don't know, because they aren't bad. They're good. The argument continued for the better part of an hour until she was almost late for school. Her father drove her in stormy silence, dropping her off in front of the school with barely enough time to get to her first class. The whole day was overshadowed by the dark cloud of her parents' anger and her own confusion. Before she had discovered just what wonders such books contained, she could have almost believed they meant well, that by denying her these books, they were protecting her. But now, it all just seemed so silly, so wrong. Over and over in her head, she rehearsed various arguments, various excuses, but nothing seemed right. As the day drew to a close, she made her way home, stopping at the library to return the other book from her school bag. Her mother was waiting at home when she arrived. There was another quiet drive, this time to the library to return the offending book. Then her mother asked for her library card. Kells now realized the full gravity of what was about to happen. She began to cry, deep sobs that shook her small body, and tears which blinded her to everything. She gave her mother the card. We are very disappointed in you, her mother said. You have abused the freedom and responsibility we gave you, and so you lose them. Kells never saw her library card again. The next day, she took the hidden notebook from its place behind the garden shed and buried it beneath the tree she liked in the woods near her home. For the next seven years, she did not read a single book other than those assigned to her by teachers. When she was a little older, she got a job at a local restaurant, first sweeping up and helping out, but soon working more and more. She saved up every single penny, hidden away in various spots in her room, in the woods, never too much in one place. While she was working at the restaurant, one of the cooks taught her to juggle. Before long, while her friends were smoking on their breaks, Kells was juggling. She practiced tricks every single chance she got, soon throwing four, five, and even seven balls with skill and grace. 
Kells was just past 18 when she completed school. After graduation, she went home, packed a few things into a backpack, gathered all her money, and left. Her note to her parents was terse. I've gone to find the magic. As she rode along in a train to a distant city, she opened her old notebook. For the first time in seven years, she read her childhood thoughts and observations about magic. Page by page, she rediscovered her sense of wonder and joy. It was all still there. Despite the best efforts of her parents to destroy it, to push it away, Kells was so exuberant that she did not even mind the slight dampness of the book or the grains of sand which had somehow worked their way into its pages. Kells is no longer that girl, so recently free of the childhood which denied her the pursuit of her passion. She has grown. She looks down at her hands, almost surprised by who she is and where she is. Eleanor is holding her hands, tears running down her own face. Kells realizes that she has told her entire story to Eleanor in the third person, like the narrator of one of the books she loved so well as a child. Eleanor finds her voice. Oh, Kells, I... She falters. Looks about as if searching for something to pick up, to wield, anything. Finding nothing, she pulls Kells forward and embraces her. They stay like this for a long, long time. When Kells' shaking subsides, she pulls away and says, I think we need to go dancing. Eleanor laughs. Now there's a sensible idea. We should get out of bed now, though. I think I hear Martin banging around in the kitchen. If I'm not careful, I'll just move in here and insist he keeps waiting on me hand and foot. Kells leaps up, pulling the warm blankets from around Eleanor's shoulders. Well then, you'd best get out of bed. Eleanor swipes at her, but Kells is too quick, scampering out the door and capering down the stairs. Eleanor watches her go, wondering at how fast Kells had been able to bounce out of her painful reverie. She realizes she will let it go for now. It feels too good to know someone so whimsical. With a sigh, she falls back on the bed. Well then, she says to the ceiling, I guess this is happening. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to this week's chapter of Bachmansier. I, uh, this is probably the most personal chapter of this book for me, just because I was raised in a very conservative culture and community. Uh, my own parents were actually quite uh, lenient and they really encouraged me to read a lot of books and put a lot of amazing literature into my hands and this sort of hyper-conservative thing was more the parents of friends of mine like I had friends who weren't allowed to watch Lord of the Rings the the films because the actor who played Gandalf Ian McKellen was gay I mean they didn't have any problem with the fact that the actor who played Gimli John Rhys Davies is actually like six foot three and not a dwarf so I don't think it was a realism issue for them anyway uh <laughs> I, 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 it sounds made up now, but like there were actually Harry Potter book burnings in communities that I was a part of as a child. I never attended any of them, but like my peers did. It's so weird. Uh, <laughs> anyway, thank you all so much for, for, for listening to this episode and for sticking with this story. I'm sorry there wasn't an episode last week. Uh, it was the 4th of July 
sort of long weekend here in the United States where I live, and there were fireworks exploding every 10 seconds somewhere within a mile of me, and it just made recording absolutely impossible. So thank you all so much for your patience. I, I'm very eager to finish this story and, and hear what you all think of it once it's all out. So, so yeah, hopefully we will get to the final chapter of this without any more interruptions of service. As always, Pilot House... Oh, excuse me. Pochemancier. Pilot House is my other podcast, which you can find wherever you found this podcast. Uh, check that out. As always, Pochemancier is entirely listener-supported. If you'd like to help out with this podcast, you can head over to pochemancier.com or patreon.com slash strangelywritesbooks. You can also email me at strangelywritesbooks at gmail.com if you have thoughts or ideas about the story or just if you want to get in touch. I will see you all next week for chapter 14, Music and Dancing. And even push a salt shaker through a table. And even push a salt <laughs> And even push a salt shaker. Salt shake, salt shake, salt shake. <laughs> Why is this one so hard? I don't... And even push a soul shake. have Sean Connery read the rest of this. And even push a salt shake through a table. Ever since I fell down onto this salty plane, I've seemed to have something of a shish... You know, there's actually a cafe in Olympia, Washington, which is one of like the hipster capitals of the world. And it's called... Scissors, shish, shish. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs>